Well, good morning, church. Merry Christmas. Happy Holy Days. So, so far in our mini Christmas series, we met Mary and Joseph, of course. We met the angel Gabriel. And last week, we met the shepherds who were out in the field tending their sheep. And today we're going to meet some very interesting men who were called magi. Some people call them the wise men, depending on your nativity scene. So with that in mind, please open your Bibles with me to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 2 as we meet these men. So this morning's narrative takes place near Bethlehem soon after the birth of Christ. This is what Christianity.com said about the Magi. They said the coming of the wise men is placed soon after the birth and before the presentation in the temple. The article says of Matthew 2.1, now when Jesus was born, that implies that one event speedily happened right after the other. But unlike most nativity scenes, I do not believe that Jesus was still in the manger when the wise men showed up to meet him. Many scholars believe that Jesus was between one month and two years old by the time the Magi show up on the scene. And they base that because of what Herod's rule, his decree was, to kill all male babies two years old and younger. And it was only given after the Magi told Herod that they had seen the star and that they had come to meet the king of the Jews. So with that in mind, if you got your sermon notes, Roman numeral one, after Christ's birth. If your Bibles are open, Matthew chapter two, let's look at verse one. Matthew two, one says, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod, the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and we have come, catch this, to worship him. We've come to worship him. There in your notes, the Magi were wise men from the east, possibly Persia, modern day Iran, who came to worship the Messiah, who is the Lord God in form of a baby, and they presented him some gifts. Now, the Gospel of Matthew does not follow Luke's same order. Instead, Matthew pays a lot of attention to who these magi were, and we'll get into why. John MacArthur said, Many historians considered them Semites, which, if so, would make them descendants of Noah's son Shem. Because of their combined knowledge of science and agriculture, mathematics and history and the occult, their religious and political influence of the day continued to grow till they were the most prominent group of advisors in the Medio Persia and the Babylonian empires. So these guys are prominent figures and they have come to worship a baby. So think about that. Historians tell us that no Persian could ever become a king without mastering science religious disciplines, and then being approved by the rest of the Magi. So these men come from either Babylon or Persia, and we could assume that they knew the Hebrew Scriptures so well. They knew the Old Testament probably better than most Jews of that day would know. They know the prophecies. 
Remember, we've talked about this several times. At that time, there were 315 specific prophecies of Messiah, where he would be born, where he would come out of, everything about Messiah. And these men, they knew those prophecies. There in your notes, because of Daniel's high position and favor shown to him by the Lord, the Magi learned many things from Daniel and scripture about the one true God of Israel. Remember what happened. The Jews were taken captive to Babylon. And after the exile was over, many of the Jews stayed there and they intermarried with the women of the East. So it's very likely that a Jewish influence was all over the place and especially for these Magi. And that's how they learned the Old Testament scriptures. And again, the Magi probably knew scriptures better than most of the Jews of that day. The book of Isaiah, when describing Jerusalem's restoration, says this. Isaiah 60, verse 6. The multitude of camels shall cover your land. The dromedaries of Midian and Ephah and those from Sheba shall come. And they shall bring gold and incense and they shall proclaim the praises of the Lord. This was foretold over 800 years before it happened by the prophet Isaiah. And notice Matthew 2.2 says there's this special star. And because they were experts in astronomy, here these men know about this star. And they're like, that's the star that's been predicted throughout the Old Testament. We know Messiah is here. We know it. You know, astronomy, of course, is the natural science of celestial objects and the phenomenons that happen. And again, you got to know mathematics and you got to know, you know, physics and chemistry and all these things in order to explain it. And again, the prophecies. Here's one of the greatest prophecies about that star it comes out of Numbers 24, 17. It says, a star shall come out of Jacob, a scepter shall rise out of Israel. And so these wise men, they recognize this is a special star. This isn't just some, you know, weird aligning of planets or something. This is a special star. And there's been many explanations throughout time of trying to explain this away. That wasn't so special. It, you know, it was a comet or, or it was just something else. But when you study history, for instance, Halley's Comet showed up in 11 B.C. But the birth of Christ was 6 B.C. It doesn't line up. So they, they try to make history line up to explain away this special star because if it was a miracle and it was a special star, then that means Jesus was Messiah and we've got to do something with this Jesus. Others believe that it was a gathering of planets in the night sky and some people believe the way it orbited and different things, but none of it matches up. None of it, it's all explained away. Multiple planets do not make a single light source. It's impossible. And, and so nothing that's explained in Scripture lines up with any of their reasonings. All the explanations that they try to come up with fall short of Numbers chapter 24 and Matthew chapter 2. You know, when you think about God in special lights, God throughout the Old and New Testament has shown up with his Shekinah glory and special lights all over the place. And the children of Israel recognized that God's presence was there. And so saying that he was going to send a special star to introduce his son. I mean, it makes a lot of sense there in your notes. At times, the Lord shows up visible signs of his presence 
with bright appearances known as the Shekinah glory of God. Isaiah seen such a special light when he was in the temple. And one of the, my favorite passages out of the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 6.1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. Isaiah, so I said, woe is me, I'm undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. When Isaiah sees this manifestation of God's Shekinah glory there in the temple, notice what he does. Woe am I, I am a man of unclean lips. So back to our story. These wise men show up in Jerusalem and they start asking questions to the Jewish people thinking, you guys know the Old Testament, right? So what's with this star? Tell me what's going on here because we've seen it and we have come to meet the king. We've come to meet Messiah. We've come to meet the baby. Where is he? They're just assuming you're Jews. You study the Old Testament. Surely you have to recognize this. But let's see what happens. Roman numeral two, Herod's fear. Look at verse three. But when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and catch this and all of Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me. And here's the lie that I may come and worship him also. Now, you got to know Herod is the name of several kings throughout history of the Herodian dynasty there in the Roman province of Judea. There in your notes. But this Herod was known as Herod the Great. Herod the Great. Herod the Great was a mighty ruler. He ruled with an iron fist. He was known for great building projects. He, he was known as a great administrator. But he was also known to be the cruelest king around. D.A. Carson said this, he was wealthy, politically gifted, intensely loyal, an excellent administrator, and clever enough to remain in the good graces of the Roman Empire. You see, Herod was known as a client king of Judea under Rome. He had to answer to Rome for everything. He was more of a governor than a king. This guy built all kinds of things. In fact, he's the one that rebuilt the second temple. And that's why oftentimes you'll hear that temple called Herod's temple, because he's the one that was responsible for that. But here in Matthew, notice what he does. So there's no excuse. 
He gathers all the religious leaders together and says, hey, when was the Messiah, Christ, Christos in the Greek, when was the Messiah born? So he knows who he is, right? There's no mistaken. He knows who Jesus is. When was he born? Where was he born? Go find him. I want to worship him. There in your notes, the Lord purposely set these things and many other prophecies into place so there'd be no question that no other person in all history could be the promised savior of the world. Galatians 4.4, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Why? To redeem those who were under the law that we might receive adoption as sons. So the problem is, is King Herod here wants to be king of the Jews, right? That's what he wants to be. But there's a real king of the Jews and his name is Jesus Christ. And so when these magi show up and they said, where is the king of the Jews born? We've seen his star. You can just imagine Herod and his reaction. Wait a minute. I'm king of the Jews. What do you mean he's king of the Jews? There in your notes, King Herod wanted to be king, even though he learned through fulfilled prophecy that Jesus is the rightful king of kings. And so he wants to secretly find out, and it isn't because he wants to worship him. He wants to kill him. That's what he wants to do. And he's afraid that if the people find out his plot to kill Jesus, there'll be an uprising. And if the people uprise because he wants to kill Messiah, what's going to happen is his boss, Caesar Augustus, is going to kill him. Because he has an uprising in one of their provinces and he's like, you have to be at peace. If there's any trouble and Rome hears about it, off with his head. And so he, he's afraid of losing his position. He's afraid of losing his life. So he does it secretly. And notice again, he claims that he wants to worship Jesus. But that's just deception and flattery. What was Herod really like? He was stubborn and self-willed. He was led by demonic influence and again, scared to lose his position. And so the Magi ask, where is him who was born king of the Jews? And Herod's just furious. You can just imagine. I'm king of the Jews. Can I tell you another little secret? The Magi were the first Gentiles to worship Jesus. Isn't that cool? Here we are, Gentile believers worshiping Jesus Christ. They were first. And notice it says that not only Herod was troubled, but all of Jerusalem with him. What a sight to see this caravan of these wise men. You know, unlike the nativity scene you have at home, there wasn't just three of them. There was a whole group and caravan of men coming with all these camels and all this gold and all this other stuff. And these wise men kind of just coming like locusts. What a sight to behold. And you could imagine that Jerusalem seeing this sight. Yeah, they were troubled. They didn't know what was going on. And then it says all the chief priests and the scribes. This is the first contact, by the way, that Jesus has with religious leaders. There in your notes, the chief priest included the high priest and Herod changed the high priest into a political appointment rather than a spiritual calling. 
you know, we've learned this a few weeks ago that the scribes were known as teachers of the law. And, and so Herod, catch this, it's important. Herod got a great Bible study lesson about who Jesus is. There's a lesson here for us. Students, pay attention. Herod had the best teachers on the face of the planet tell him who Jesus was. Spurgeon said this, when the earth king dabbles in theology, it bodes no good to truth. Herod among the priests and scribes is Herod still. Some men may be well instructed in the Bibles and yet be all the worse for what they have discovered. Here's the problem with Herod. This is the problem some of us have. It goes right here, in here, but it doesn't travel south. It doesn't travel south. And with Herod, he knew without a shadow of a doubt, this is Messiah. This is Emmanuel, God with us. He's come in the form of a baby. And what does he want to do? Kill him. There in your notes, in other words, simple head knowledge of the Lord and his word does not save nor change any man. And so Herod says, bring back word to me so I can go worship him. And again, he just wanted to kill him. Here's the issue. You cannot serve the Lord and self equally. You cannot. You're going to serve one more than the other every time. You cannot serve the Lord and self. So let's see what happens. Roman numeral three, meeting Jesus. Look at verse nine. When they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and catch this, stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, notice it's a house. They saw the young child would marry his mother and fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. So led by the star, these wise men show up at the home of the royal family. Just imagine this scene. And again, they're not in the stable. Notice that when he came into the house, there in your notes, the shepherds found the baby at the manger. But this scene with the Magi takes place anywhere from a month to two years after the birth of Christ. And imagine this. If there were any doubts whatsoever in the hearts of these Magi, when they show up and see Jesus, all doubts are gone. They know who he is. And think about the miracle that this star just kind of cruises, right? It's almost like a satellite or something. It just cruises and then boom, stops right on top of where the baby is. And again, what other person in history has that ever happened to? No one. Here's the thing. Jesus controls all nature. We need to remember this. I think sometimes we forget who this Jesus is. We forget that this is the sovereign, all-powerful, almighty God who came in the flesh. And he controls nature. Let me give you a couple of examples. Later, you may remember when he's out on the boat with the disciples and they're all upset and they think they're going to sink and they're crying out, how could you do this to us, Jesus? And Jesus steps up and he says, waves and wind 
be still. Boom, still. During what we call the triumphant entry, Palm Sunday, the crowd began to praise the Lord. Maybe you remember. Luke 19.38 says, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Verse 39. And the religious leaders and some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Notice what's going on. Here comes Jesus riding into Jerusalem on the very day that was prophesied through Daniel. Here's Jesus, God, Messiah, riding in. They're praising him. And the religious leaders, gotta love it, rebuke their disciples. What are you doing? How dare them? Listen to Jesus' response to nature. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these keep silent, the stones will immediately cry out. Part of me wishes Jesus would have told them to be quiet. <laughs> I would have loved to seen what a stone crying out Jesus's praise would have looked like. I mean, there's not a Veggie Tales in the world that looks like that. <laughs> there in your notes, it's amazing that nature doesn't doubt who Jesus is. But with all of our intellect, some people still do. And so just like with this star, God today is still pointing the way to his son. To every person. And notice what happens when these men finally go to the star. They see the star. They rejoice with exceedingly great joy. What does that mean? Exceedingly great joy. This is the kind of joy. Let me tell you what this is. This is the joy that the person on death row just got a call from the president and got released from jail. You were dead in your sins and trespasses. You were on death row spiritually. And someone bigger than the president has called and sent forth his only begotten son that whoever will believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And, and so notice verse 11 again. And they fall down and they worship the king and offer him gifts. There in your notes, we must understand worshiping the Lord with our hearts is more important than offering Jesus gifts. The psalmist said it this way in Psalm 51, 16. For you do not desire sacrifice or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. So. What are the three gifts? What's the significance of the three gifts the Magi gave? And let's just touch on it real quick. Gold always stands for royalty or deity. So they give gold to the baby king. Your royal and your deity. Frankincense. Frankincense is, is like incense burnt to the Lord. And if you read in Revelations, it says that the prayers of the saints are like sweet-smelling aroma that goes up to the nostrils of God. And so this is sweet-smelling frankincense. And then finally, myrrh is an antiseptic wound healer, an embalming fluid. What a weird gift to give a baby. Embalming fluid, antiseptic, almost like it was foretelling what was going to happen. There in your notes, what these magi did 
should be the natural response for anyone who has a real-life encounter with Jesus. Fall down and worship him. You know, all through Scripture, all through Scripture, Old and New Testament alike, we are strictly warned that no man, no creature, no animal is to be worshipped but God alone. Over and over again, strictly prohibit worshipping anything but God. In Acts chapter 10, verse 25 says, As Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him, the apostle Peter. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up. I'm only a man. Don't worship me. In Lystra, in Acts 14, the people came out and tried to worship the apostle Paul. And Paul said, no way. In Revelation 19, the apostle John tried to worship the angel that showed up to speak to him. And the angel picked him up and said, never worship anything but God alone. Many cults deny the deity of Jesus Christ. But here and in many other places in Scripture, Jesus accepts worship. So you can only come to one conclusion, one or the other. Either Jesus is God because he accepted worship or he was a fraud. There's no good man here because a good man wouldn't be a fraud. A good man wouldn't lie. A good man wouldn't accept worship that's due only to God. So either he's God or he's a fraud. There are other times in the Gospel of Matthew where Jesus accepts worship. On one occasion, Jesus was walking on the water. Maybe you remember it. Matthew 14, 32 says, And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. There in your notes. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. And notice, Jesus doesn't correct them. So again, deity or a fraud. The creator of heaven, the creator of all nature, left heaven's throne to come visit man. In our narrative today, these magi show up and the first thing they do, sing his praises and worship the Lord. And the whole time, Herod just has evil intentions. You know, Herod takes the appearance of these men as a threat to his rule. Herod's going to have his will no matter what. And this is for us today, too. I'm going to have my will no matter what. I don't care. Romans 12, 2 tells us there's a way. The Lord provides a way that we can know his perfect will for our lives. And that's by becoming a living sacrifice. So I want to get practical this morning. And I want to talk a little bit about worship. What the Magi did to Jesus here. And so many times we, when we hear worship, we talk about music. And music's only a simple little part of our worship. Tobin Perry said this, you were designed for God's pleasure. That's what you were designed for. The purpose of worship is the foundation of four other purposes. Let me give them to you. He says, fellowship without worship is just hanging out. Discipleship without worship is nothing but a fruitless mental exercise. Ministry without worship is called spinning your wheels. And evangelism without worship is a meaningless sales pitch. Jesus, his name means Yahweh 
is salvation. Christos means the anointed one, the Messiah. Jesus Christ came to save lost sinners. He's the great I am, Jesus Christ. And so what I want to end with is a, a quote from David Guzik. He said, we see here three different responses of people to Jesus and who that he was. And, and we all respond to Jesus in one of these three ways, too. So I'm going to explain them to you. Number one is Herod, of course. He displayed open hatred and hostility to Jesus. That's what we see in the world today, right? Open hatred and hostility to Jesus. But worship is a process of surrendering. And we see people today who just will not surrender. And so our first goal should be to focus on Jesus. Start our day with worship. Start our day with prayer and surrendering to the Lord. Because God has designed us to worship Him. Our whole lives and everything we do, worship should be included. There's habits, of course, like prayer and studying Scripture and all those sort of things and meditating on Scripture and seeking to be more Christ-like, but all of it should begin with worship. Okay, so that's the first one. The second group of people were the religious leaders. The chief priests and the scribes, they were indifferent about Jesus at this point while they were trying to maintain their religious respectability, right? But they were indifferent. How many people do we see in the world today that are indifferent about Jesus? But there's bad news about being indifferent about Jesus. Because Jesus says you're either with me or against me. There, there's no middle ground. And so to be indifferent about Jesus is actually to be an enemy of Jesus. John Piper said, God wants every person on the planet to worship him. Not because he's an egomaniac who needs our praise but because he knows that we were designed to worship him. And we will never have the abundant life until we're in that relationship and we worship the Lord. Okay, the third people, of course, are the wise men, the magi. They sought out Jesus. They worshiped him, even at a great cost. Look at these gifts. These gifts were very, very expensive. They were not satisfied by just saying, look, there's a star. Isn't that great? Maybe we should read the examiner because the stars in the sky and I bet you the examiner will tell us what that all means. No, they got off their blessed assurance and they followed the star. They did something about it. They persevered until they found the baby. They were not discouraged by the king. They were not discouraged by the religious leaders. Instead, they rejoiced at the star and said, hey, thanks, guys. We're going to find Jesus. And then when they arrive, they fall down and worship the baby. This sense of urgency, worship him now, not wait. And again, they didn't come to worship empty-handed. Worship cost something. It wasn't empty-handed adoration. So here's the question. Are we competing with the Lord like Herod did for control of our lives? War. Are we standing on the promises of God like the Magi did? Believing what God has said in his word and worshiping for it. I've heard this question so many times and here, here's the question I'll pose to you. Is how could so many of those people 
know all the predictions about Messiah back then and still not believe him? How could all these Jewish folks know there was 315 specific prophecies and, and the, the odds of fulfilling just eight are astronomical? I'm told that if you took quarters across the entire state of Texas, painted one red and buried it in that sea of quarters, and you could pick it out on the first try out of this complete state of Texas. Those are the same odds of one man being able to fulfill just eight of those, and yet Jesus fulfilled 315. And so it's mind-boggling. How could all these people that knew all these predictions and prophecies not believe in Jesus? Well, that's a great question. Let me get personal this morning. How about us? We have technology in fact, right now, people are watching online. People could watch from Papua New Guinea if they've got internet. They can watch anywhere. They can watch anybody explain how much knowledge, how, much, how many sermons, how many teachings are there on Jesus Christ. And yet, there are still people today who refuse to believe with all that evidence. You see... Ecclesiastes 3.11 tells us that God has put a God-shaped vacuum in every heart of every human being ever born. And that's why you see so many addictions and chains is because we're human. If you won't worship God, you will worship something. Something's got to try and fill that hole. And we try to shove things in there to fit in that hole and nothing works. And so every single person has a God-shaped vacuum. And every single person has eternity planted in their heart from birth. And so the question is, okay, the Jews, yeah, they, they had these predictions. They had the Old Testament. They knew it from the time they were old enough to understand. But what about you? Jesus is more of a swear word in our country than, than he is the Savior. And people are trying to search to find something. Here's the promise of Jeremiah, and this is the promise for you this morning. Jeremiah 29, 13. You will seek me and find me if when you search for me with your whole heart. You will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with your whole heart. May we seek and find Jesus and worship him like the Magi did. You will seek me and you will find me. What a promise. I, if I could just talk to God face to face. And God says, if you seek me with your whole heart, you'll find me. I'm not hiding. I'm here. And by the way, I want to be with you always, even to the end of the earth. So if you seek me with your whole heart, you'll find me. What a promise. What a promise. If you're sitting in here this morning and you're confused about who this Jesus is, who this God is, there it is. Seek him with your whole heart and you'll find him. And then you can ask him. He's not going to keep anything a secret from you. He desires fellowship, but he's worthy of all praise too. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come on back up. And we're going to end with a couple of worship songs. And I would just encourage you this morning, as you're singing these words to these songs, think about who this Jesus is. You know, Christmas is neat. But Jesus didn't stay a baby. He actually grew up. And he grew up to be a man. Fully God, fully man. And took the cross that a wretch like me, to all who would believe,
To them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. And that promise is for you this morning too. So as we worship this morning, belt it out. It's okay. God's got special headphones. Even my singing, he's good with it. But tell him what he's worth to you this morning. Praise his name. He's worthy of it. Let's pray. Thank you for listening, and we hope that you are blessed. If you'd like to find out more info about our church or any other resources like sermon notes or things like that, you can check out our website at livingfaithklamath.com. Make sure if you haven't already to subscribe or like us on whatever your favorite podcast app is. You'll find us at Living Faith Fellowship Klamath Falls. Again, be blessed. Be blessed.